And music supervisors love sync agents because they are one stop and it saves them so well, much work. And I think for us and why, you know, why a lot of the supervisors that, that we work with love us is mm-hmm. music supervisors are creatives. Yes. Like they, you know, they have done a lot of administrative work and they've done the headaches of having to clear 14 different owners yes. and publishers and write, you know, but that's not what they love. They love mm-hmm. being creative. And so mm-hmm. when they can be creative and come and get this thing cleared and approved for their customer, their client very quickly, it, it makes their lives so much easier. Yes. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today, my guest is Daniel McCarthy. He is the CEO of FM, which includes the platform Music Bed. Now, Music Bed is one of the more popular sync licensing hybrid platforms, which includes your more traditional sync licensing company, sync agents, that sort of stuff, but also a music library. Uh, we get into how all this works. Basically, they deal with every, they work with everyone from indie filmmakers and uh, wedding video filmmakers, uh, photographers, all the way up to brands that place commercials on the Super Bowl and everyone in between, including TV shows, music supervisors, all that stuff. We discussed today how micro-licensing works for those smaller placements and how artists get paid. We discussed how the big sync licensing works and how artists are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, He said some music bed artists have made millions of dollars from the placements that the music bed has secured for them. Music bed works with over a million filmmakers that are uh, part of their platform, which they currently have a subscription model, where if you're an indie filmmaker, you can subscribe for a certain amount of money a month and then have access to the catalog for your placements. And then, of course, they do one-off sync placements for the bigger placements. I've said placements a lot. i got to come up with a different word for that. Uh, When we're talking TV shows, films, trailers, commercials, that kind of stuff. This continues our sync licensing journey that we've been having on the New Music Business Podcast. If you want to catch up and dig into all things sync, check out some of my previous episodes with music supervisors like Jen Malone, who's a current music supervisor for Euphoria. She's also done Atlanta, Shelter, Lady Dynamite, Step Up, Creed 2, that kind of stuff. Uh, you can listen to my episode with, of course, Vo Williams, who is a, who's an artist who's had over 1,400 sync placements of his own music. He's also, of course, the instructor for Ari's Take Academy Advanced Sync Strategies course. Chris Doritas, who's a sync agent and DJ for KCRW and Disney Music Supervisor. Brian Vickers, he does mostly movie trailers for Disney. Um, Also had Lindsay Wolfington. She is the music supervisor for Virgin River, and she placed me on One Tree Hill. We had Winslow Bright, who mostly works with commercials, and she worked at Search Party Music. Singing brands like Sephora, Beyond Burger, Calvin Klein, Mini Cooper, that kind of stuff. So catch up. Join us. Uh, we are we are going deep into the sync realm, but this episode is great because if you remember the previous episode that I had with um, Jen Miller, who runs Audio Socket, they're also a hybrid company, music library, sync agent agency, and Musicbed is another one of these companies. So I think if you dug that episode, you're going to really get into this one. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can find all of us at Ari's Take on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. That's the most important thing you can do. Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. All right, let's kick into the This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Show. Daniel McCarthy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having <laughs> me, man. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, is this a standing desk that you're behind? Uh, it's standing right now. Yeah, it is. That's fantastic. I need to I need to work on my desk game. Uh, you know, you'd think after uh, a full year of working at home that I'd, I'd have the desk game on point. But now that I've, I've moved, we've like since moved into an office. I've moved back into uh, other human beings being around. So I'm, I'm, I'm back seated. Uh, how, how has that standing desk been for you? you is it is it uh, helping you keep your, your legs in action? Or what's the point of these things? I mean, everybody told me I wasn't going to use it, but I, I use it every day, honestly. I don't like to sit down anymore. That's because awesome. my problem was like, I don't actually like physical activity really uh-huh. that much. You know? <laughs> You're not a runner. Like, okay. <laughs> manual labor is not, not on the top of my fun list. Sure. So I felt like I was sitting all the time and then having back problems and I don't know, it's mm. been a game changer for me. So all right. I highly well, maybe recommend I gotta prioritize it. that. All right. That's, yeah, that's, do it. Uh, cool. Thank either. you. Uh, you know, I became one over the pandemic because, uh, all the gym, I, I used to do the elliptical for my, uh, yeah. cardio, but then obviously when all gyms shut down, I'm just like, well, I live in LA and there's plenty of sunshine and no excuses for me to, uh, not get out and start running. So I became a runner. I don't, pr- I don't care. I don't really like running. So I'm back to the elliptical, uh, literally like seconds after I got my second vaccine shot, I'm just like, all right, gym membership, let's go <laughs> back yeah. on the elliptical. So yeah, yeah love you it. Know, anyway, um, cool. Well, we're not here to talk about standing desks. Um, so let's, uh, let's kick into the music bed. Uh, this is something that I have had my eye on since you launched and not just because you had billboards plastered all over uh, uh, New York and LA when you were going on, which I, I'm very curious about. But uh, a lot of my friends were were uh, working with the music bed early on. And uh, I've, you know, I've seen, I just had my eye on, on what you've been up to the last, I guess it's been 10 years now. Um, if you could just like, I want to, I rarely ask uh, my guest to tell the story because I'm I'm more about like what you're working on now, but I am very curious about the inception story of the music bed, and I think it's going to give a really strong backdrop to everybody listening where you come from and the story behind the music bed before we get into the nitty gritty of how you work now. So if you could just take us back to the beginning, I think that'd be super helpful. Yeah, so I I went to school for music business, but I dropped out of college, so that didn't go very far, and then I I actually mm-hmm. started. Um, as a graphic designer for an advertising agency. And so okay. I did that for a few years, worked my way up to, to creative director and mm-hmm. then left, um, to create my own agency in the, in the middle there though, there was kind of this year and a half to two year period where, um, I was building an agency and we're getting clients, but you still have to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And so I was a photographer. I had done some filmmaking and so we, we started shooting kind of anything and everything from, I, I was intentionally trying to make an advertising agency, but kind of accidentally created the production company maybe is the best way to put it. Like <laughs> we were shooting weddings, we were doing films, all of a sudden we were getting pulled into client work and doing um, broadcast commercials that we had never done before. And mm-hmm. then, and everything kind of started to merge. And um, so we had this creative agency that really I had come out of advertising, uh, but this was, this would have been like 13, 14 years ago. And so mm-hmm. this was when like branded content was becoming a thing. And, uh, the Canon 5D Mark II had come out in the, and in, in the, on the photo space, which was making like cinematic filmmaking accessible. Yep. So all these things were kind of merging. YouTube was blowing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would go into these meetings with brands and we were going to be doing branding and, marketing and we were going to be doing like web design and development and all they wanted mm-hmm. to talk about was video like it, it was mm-hmm. like hey can you guys make a video for our homepage? <laughs> and this yeah. is you know it sounds like really stupid when i talk about it now but this is what everybody was into at the time and sure. um so we're like yeah we can do that mm-hmm. and we really you know like i said like we 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 thought we were kind of creating this advertising agency we ended up really almost creating a production company mm. And more than 50% of our revenue was coming from video and film of some sort. And we were doing, we were doing anything from like streaming videos to uh, broadcast commercials. And the problem that we kept running into was music. Mm. And so I felt like, you know, with the right budget, I felt like, you know, you have, we have so much control as creatives over the concept, over the writing, over the talent, over, over everything. And then I felt like you would get to music and it was just this world 
that I didn't really understand. And I didn't mm-hmm. have a friend that was a music supervisor. I didn't even know at the time what that was. And sure. I'm like, man, I just want to use this song on this film. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to do this? You know? So you're emailing, like you're finding artists on Bandcamp and emailing them. Right. And then, and you're just like trying to figure out how to do this. And I went to Nick who uh, co-founded the agency with me. And I was like, man, mm-hmm. I think there's something here. Like I, mm. I think we're in the wrong business. Like there's mm-hmm. all these indie artists out there that are not being represented for film. Mm. And, uh, and this, and it's kind of simultaneously, I had, I had worked on this big project for, um, for TCU, which is a university here locally. And where's here in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So we had done a big project for them and there was 10 or 15 videos that needed to be done and we needed music for them. And I had a friend named Jordan Kreitz and, um, he was an artist that had grown up here, which is how we knew each other. He moved to Nashville and I got this quote from a production music library. And I think at the time it was like 1500 or $2,000 a piece for these little videos, mm-hmm. which didn't seem that crazy. But in my mind, I'm like, I mean, you know, like Jordan would do this, you know, for mm-hmm. 1500 bucks a piece. Like, mm-hmm. why don't we just call one of our artist friends and see if they'll send us their instrumentals from the record. And it's, it's great. And it sounds great. And so we do that. The client's happy. Like the musician was happy and the comments were all the same. Like, Oh, this sounds so good and fresh and like relevant. And like, you know, so th- this all kind of culminated, I think to this idea that these industries are, both kind of going through very similar things right now, which is like total transformation and disruption. Like the video industry, mm-hmm. like everybody's becoming a filmmaker and every mm-hmm. photographer that has a camera can shoot cinematic footage and everyone's mm-hmm. starting a production company and everybody's uploading videos to YouTube. And so like this was happening on the film world and then simultaneously on the music world, it's like you don't have to have a quarter million dollars to make a great record and you don't have to sign a record deal anymore. And right. I can make a record from my basement and I can write it. And it, so it was like, it's almost like simultaneously these two industries were going through this very disruptive and transformative process mm-hmm. 14, 15 years ago. And, um, and so we've just felt like this is it. This we have to solve this problem. Like we mm-hmm. have to figure out how to connect these musicians to these filmmakers. Um, and so that's what started the journey of music bed. We probably we're in our 10th year of actual launch do business. We were, we were working on it for about a year and a half before that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we, we launched, we had signed a couple of label partners and some different partners in the industry. We early, early on uh, a label in New York called razor and tie kind of gave us a chance mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I knew some band managers in Nashville who got us connected with some independent artists and we just started chasing down artists that we felt like would do really well in sync and do Mm -hmm. really well in film and started to kind of curate this catalog. So we launched with 35 artists Mm. and, um, with a terrible website (laughs) and, uh, that was slow and clunky and, and, and nasty. And then, it just is, it just kind of grew. It started, it was, you know, doubling year over year. Mm-hmm. And then if you fast forward today, um, we represent a, about 1400, 1500 bands mm-hmm. and, uh, and composers, uh, and producers and writers. And, um, we have about a million filmmakers that are using the platform on a regular basis. So it's really kind of just, it's been a fun kind of crazy journey. That's great. And that's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to hear. And it makes a lot of sense that you saw this problem uh, from an advertiser, from a filmmaker's perspective, uh, an agency perspective. Um, and then you saw how you could solve that. And by knowing some artists uh, and being friends with some artists or musicians, uh, you knew that there are artists out there that could use that that paycheck and that it doesn't need to just be the $100,000 Toyota campaign. It could be the $1,500, uh, you know, internal web promo video. So um, let's break down to what your business model is for people that aren't familiar with the music bed, where you are now today, just break it down and what the main focus is and where most of the revenue comes from. So we, um, you know, our core competency is a roster of relevant, authentic artists that we curate for film. So we are a sync licensing platform um, that syncs music to anything from YouTube videos all the way up to Super Bowl ads. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, and anything in between podcasts. Um, so the, the idea of the platform ultimately is that there was no, that there was no Spotify for sync licensing. There was no mm-hmm. one platform where, as, cause as a filmmaker, I think this is, if you're an insider in the music industry, you can start rattling off words like publishing and masters and sync and record and PRO right. and like, and I, I didn't, I, you know, I thought I wanted to be in the music business and I started school, that's mm-hmm. right, but I didn't get far enough to understand the glossary. And so sure. then as a creative, what I don't think the music industry realizes is like, they don't understand any of this stuff. Like, yeah. as a matter of fact, a filmmaker that wants to use a song in their video doesn't understand why it should be more complicated than just getting on a platform, picking a song paying mm-hmm. for it, moving mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you so represent all your artists? Made, go ahead. Do you represent all your artists one stop? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and that, that, was the, that was one of the, I mean, that was one of the big keys was mm-hmm. the filmmaker doesn't want to hear like, you know, hey, we got the master side and, you know, figure mm-hmm. out publishing, right? Or like, you know, it's, it, it yeah, they want to just come and get the song and use it. So for clarity, you are one stop. And for those of you who don't know what one stop means is that uh, the creator, the video, the ad agency, the music supervisor, whomever can come to you. You've already cleared all the rights for all the songs in your catalog. They only need to make one stop. That's where the term comes from. They don't need to go to the label. They don't need to go to the publisher, make a bunch of stops all over town to clear all the rights. One stop shop, music bed. Okay. So that's so I, I was looking at your your roster of your 1400 artists that you were saying. Um, so is it fair to say that all of these artists uh, don't have publishing deals or record deals and they are just working with the music bed independently? Or have you actually worked out with some of their uh, publishing companies or with their labels that you will be handling all the sync rights? Yeah, so we actually, I mean, in the last two or three years, we've signed more record um, and publishing uh, deals really than, than we have independent artists. So gotcha. it's both. We sign okay. artists directly, um, and that's how, really how we got started. And they mm-hmm. control all the rights, and it's a little bit easier, and maybe there's a couple of writers on the deal, but it's not that complicated. Sure. Um, the more complicated journey is signing on a, a publishing partner, record label partner, but that mm-hmm. that's really what we've been spending a lot of focus and energy on the last couple of years. Um, the, the problem ultimately is clearance. So, mm-hmm. you know, what you find is like the record industry is complicated and mm-hmm. there's a lot of owners and there's a lot of clearances and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stops and bottlenecks along the road. Mm-hmm. So the hardest thing for us when we sign these deals is working through all of the clearances so that we can be one stop, which by the way, I mean, we are one stop. It stresses me out to hear it. Cause I, cause, cause traditionally one stop is like cheap and, and it, it's not, it's not authentic, right? It's like, if you could get a catalog of one stop, then it's probably not good. And one of the things we pride I, ourselves on is great, but no, I, I, it's funny. I don't think you, that's you, the you, perception anymore. I, I think no, within the last it, five years, like, ah. yeah, no, but, no, 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 uh, no, no. I, I think, you know, some of the largest, uh, sync agencies in the world, uh, pride themselves on being one stop. Uh, all the music supervisors I've had on this show, which is more than I can even name, uh, uh right now. Um, some of the biggest music supervisors in the world working on some of the largest, uh, most notable projects in the world have said to me they prefer to work with one stop. So I, I, I don't, right. I think that perception of where it was maybe 10 years ago or where it is at some of the music libraries, which we're going to get into and differentiate between music libraries, sync licensing agencies, and what you do. Um, I, I would, I would say that that is inaccurate, uh, perception right now where maybe the, uh, connotations are currently in 2021. So don't worry about that. calling that it a one stop. That makes me feel good. Thank you. I like totally. That. I mean, that's just what I'm hearing from music supervisors and ad agencies and other sync licensing companies. They pride themselves on being one stop because they're essentially removing headaches from music supervisors. And music supervisors love sync agents because they are one stop and it saves them so well, much work. And I think for us and why, you know, why a lot of the supervisors that, that we work with love us is mm-hmm. music supervisors are creatives. Yes. Like they, you know, they have done a lot of administrative work and they've done the headaches of having to clear 14 different 
owners and publishers and write, you know, but that's not what they love. They love Mm -hmm. being creative. And so Mm -hmm. when they can be creative and come and get this thing cleared and approved for their customer, their client very quickly, it, it makes their lives so much easier. Yes. hundred percent. So, so let's talk about what you, what the music bed business model is right now, because as I was digging into it, I see that, you know, you have a subscription model for your indie filmmakers, for your YouTubers, the people that are your, you know, your wedding filmmakers, that's, uh, you know, anywhere, uh, from, I think the current model is, uh, you know, as low as $20 a month for, for personal use up to like a hundred dollars a month for small, uh, small businesses, that kind of stuff. But I also see, like you said, you play Super Bowl commercials, and obviously that's more of a hands-on sync agency version, which I'm assuming are in the six figures for those placements. So uh, break down the model for me and where most of the business comes from. So it's really our business is honestly split right down the middle. So half okay. of our revenue is, um, you know, what a lot of people have considered micro licensing, mm-hmm. which is the smaller projects. Uh, anything from, you know, YouTube streaming stuff, small businesses. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of our revenue comes um, for we and what we internally call custom licensing, which is, Mm. you know, typically broadcast large budget. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, we have a couple of different levers, I guess, if you will, that send you into custom. So for Mm. us, big company, big placement, you know, broadcast, TV, film, um, big advertising, like that's all going to be custom for us. Sure. And so, you know, we, we felt like one of the things I think we solved early on for independence or maybe even, you know, artists that had been with a publisher previously or was record labels and publishers don't, they're not really staffed to manage this amount of licenses a month. So what it forces is it forces minimums. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. we're just not going to do a deal for less than Mm -hmm. $10,000. Okay. Why? Well, because we only have three people on staff that can serve the license. (laughs) Like we just can't, we can't, you know, we can't do this. And and to me, I'm like, if I'm the artist and a hundred wedding filmmakers want to use my song for a hundred bucks, I mean, I'm I'm not mad about that. Right. Like I'll take the $10,000 from a hundred different filmmakers call it a day, be happy. Um, but traditionally, you know, the record label, the publisher is not really set up to manage that. And so that's where kind of micro licensing was born was this Mm -hmm. idea that, and for me, this was a lot of conversations we had early on. I don't feel like we're fighting this really anymore because I think everybody is, um, is cool with it. But early Mm -hmm. on it was like, wait, you're doing what for how much, you know, Mm -hmm. are you dropping the bottom out of the industry is, are you devaluing music? Um, and we would always say it's, it's a different customer. It's a different yes. audience size. Like for us, it really, like there's different questions we ask, but it really comes down to audience size. Like, mm-hmm. is this going to, is this going to be seen by 50 million people or is it right. going to be seen by 50 people, you know? Right. And, right. um, so really early on, we felt like we were having a lot of those conversations about the value and, and how does this work? I, we always kind of came back to like, what is the song worth? Mm-hmm. So if the song is worth, Let's say you, you believe that you write a song and, and you believe that song is worth $500,000 in sync licensing over the next five years. For me, I'm like, well, what do you care how I get it? So, sure. you know, record labels, maybe the record label model is that we get it with two really big syncs. Mm-hmm. Um, our model, maybe that we get it with 3,000 syncs. Um, and I would actually argue that what we're doing is paying off is paying dividends because the micro licensing is what is driving so much of streaming today. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually, it's, it's actually like I, what we're doing for a lot of artists is actually driving revenue and a lot of other different. It, it explain avenues. to me what micro licensing specifically is like, like give me some examples of how this works um, what are these videos? Where do they live? Why are they paying for licenses? How does this work? So, no, that's a good, I mean, that's a, a great question. I, it's basic, basic, mostly small businesses, small freelance okay. filmmakers. So it could be, I mean, it could be anything from, you know, like the, this filmmaker, his like local barbershop. And they're like, we need we want to make a we want to make a video for our, like some videos for our Instagram. We want to make some stuff to post on Facebook, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's okay, great. Here's a, here's a video that filmmaker probably charged that 
barbershop $4,500, you know, $5,000 for the, for the video. So the Mm -hmm. song is 300 bucks Mm -hmm. or they can use uh, a subscription, which is $200 a month for that. And then they're posting it on YouTube. You know, they're posting it on Instagram. Um, that barbershop probably has less than a thousand followers on Instagram. You know, Mm -hmm. it it like it's, so it's, it just is this little, when we call it micro, it really is just kind of micro in scale, micro in audience. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what a lot of our subscriptions are for is for the freelance filmmaker that's doing smaller work that has much smaller audience sizes. Mm -hmm. But once you kind of cross over the edge of, Hey, this is a Nike ad. Mm-hmm. that's going to run during the Oscars, you know, then it, be, it becomes a totally different conversation. So let's talk through that a little bit more because um, with the where the legalities are right now or just how YouTube and Facebook and Instagram are working, um, any user can upload a video, throw some music that they downloaded from iTunes into their video or they can rip that music for free from another YouTube video and they can upload it And then how it works for most indie artists, um, you know, let's say they have they have um, either their distributor or they've engaged uh, someone to handle their their YouTube content ID. Um, And so content ID flags it and they throw some ads on it. And then, you know, they're paying very, very tiny payments to the artist, uh, you know, pennies. Uh, for the ad revenue that's that's generated, and now it's all legal, quote unquote. Yes, granted, the artist could, but most don't say to YouTube, "Hey, rip this video down." I didn't give them permission for it, and so that's I, I'm assuming what you promise your clients is not going to happen. Uh, but then that brings me to the question. Have you gotten all your 1,400 clients to say, don't check that chat box when you use DistroKid that says to collect my YouTube revenue. Don't engage a, uh, a YouTube uh, uh, ad revenue company because we need to whitelist and, and, and we need to make sure that YouTube content ID does not flag any of these videos. So step me through how this process actually works like very no, that's specifically. A, it's a great question. So one, th- because... Well, if we go back to content ID, why does content ID exist? Content ID exists because record labels sued YouTube and YouTube created the Band-Aid to try to solve a problem. Content ID is legalized theft. So we're all on the same page. Like, it's not legal. It shouldn't be legal. Um, They're forcing the hand of the artist. And they're basically saying, like, yeah, it's exactly what you said. We'll pay you pennies on the dollar or you Mm -hmm. could sue them. Mm -hmm. But good luck. Right. Right. So it doesn't make, it doesn't give the YouTuber a license. It doesn't give them a sync license. It doesn't give them the authority to use your song in their film. Um, it's a bandaid and a, and I'm sorry payment for -hmm. not creating a better solution. So, um, maybe one day they'll invite both of us to some conference table at YouTube where we can talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Just let me know if you get a call. Uh, so (laughs) on the flip side of that, because content ID exists, um, and we're obviously issuing licenses, we, we actually do require all of our artists to go through us for content ID. So okay. we do give the ability, if a filmmaker or brand or advertising agency licenses a song from Musicbed, we do give them the ability to clear the claim. Most mm-hmm. of the time, that's because you know it's Home Depot and uh, they're doing a big ad and they don't want a Lowe's ad running in front of their Home Depot ad. And so <laughs> right. they need to clear the claim. There's a sure. lot of stuff happening right now with YouTube where YouTube is saying, we're going to throw an ad on the video no matter what. So yes. there's a lot of stuff happening right now that, that, that's going to change the way that this works. Yes. But in general, we have to have control over your content ID or we're going to piss off a million filmmakers. Right. Um, what it typically is for artists is a both and. So a lot of filmmakers don't, care that there's an ad on their video and they're not trying to monetize their videos. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what will begin to happen over time is that it's like YouTube is a free platform. They make money because they run ads. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to turn an ad, you know, like ABC doesn't get to release a TV show and they just decide like this TV show is not going to have any ads on it. Like, Mm -hmm. so 
filmmakers, I think, are going to begin to understand I'm using YouTube. It's a free platform. All my videos are going to have ads. So right. for us, for the artists, they shouldn't be getting a sync license or content ID revenue. They should be getting a sync license and content ID revenue. They should be getting both. It's the sure. same thing as, cool. I mean, like content ID revenue is not an equivalent, but it's way more a performance royalty than it is, you know, it, it's, the, the song is being played a billion times. You need to be getting paid for those plays. Sure. That has yes. nothing to do with the filmmaker or the brand or the agency paying for the permission to use your song in a new creative production. Those sure. are two completely different things. So, um, I mean, it, 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 you, you can equate it to a show being placed on, uh, like you said, ABC, like the actual network television, uh, a show on ABC primetime is going to pay for an upfront sync fee. Uh, for the use of that, and then the songwriter is going to actually make back-end performance royalties uh, from their from their PRO, from an ASCAP or a BMI or something, Absolutely. when that song gets played on TV. Uh, so it's essentially the same thing in that content ID uh, are those royalties that, like you said, are not perfect. Uh, but yes, is kind of like how performance royalties work on, on uh, broadcast television. And it's a little complicated right now because what right. you're talking about is a bunch of professionals that totally know how the industry works. And we're <laughs> right. talking about, we're talking about 19, 20, 24, 30, you know, we're talking about, uh, mm -hmm. we're talking about creatives that, that don't know how the music industry works and didn't sign up for this. Mm -hmm. So we also always make sure we, you know, we try to always put ourselves in, in the shoes of our customers mm -hmm. and the filmmakers and make sure, cause it, it's easy for sure for us to be like, why don't they just understand? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, no one told them, no one taught them. So our, our, you know, a lot of what we do is educating, make, you know, but also making sure that we're not um, digging our heels into the ground. And, and, you know, I mean, if the music industry doesn't change, then they're not going to make it. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, but as far as content ID goes, we do, we do require that we, um, we do require that we administer content ID for our artists. So send me through how, it works for filmmakers. Uh, we're talking small businesses, filmmakers. We're not talking uh, these Super Bowl commercials or primetime television or anything like that right now. For these quote unquote micro sinks, uh, they get a subscription, however much they're paying a month. Do they have access to all the music unlimited to use for whatever purposes they want at the $100 a month level? It's whatever they chose. So like if it's a wedding subscription, they can uh -huh. use unlimited music for weddings. But if they, oh, okay. you know, if they're working on a Nike ad, then they have to do that separate. Um, okay. So it's kind of phases of clearance. So mm -hmm. if you're a small business and you get a wedding, you get a, you get just a business subscription, um, you know, and you decide that you're going to do a broadcast ad that's not covered mm -hmm. underneath your subscription. So they Got choose, it. it's pretty flexible. They choose it as they, as they package up their subscription, like what coverage mm -hmm. do they need? Mm -hmm. And they have unlimited access within those coverages. Uh, so are there any exceptions that you give to some of these, uh, bigger brands, TV shows, movies, trailers, that kind of stuff when it comes to, the sync fees, for instance, uh, I, w I just had Lindsay Wolfington on uh, the podcast, and, and she does Virgin River, the TV show on Netflix, as, as she's done a gazillion things. Um, she was the one who placed me on One Tree Hill about a decade ago when she was, when she was in that um, music supervisor for that show. Uh, I, I was looking at the songs that she placed on Virgin River, and we talked through this a little bit. There were about three or four uh, premiere songs or, or name artist songs per episode, and then there was like five to ten other songs that were, for the most part, uh, licensed by Extreme Music, which is a one of the most popular music libraries, but micro-sync libraries, and that they were not paid that much for those uh, licenses. I'm curious, when it comes to the music bed, do you operate in that way? Do you offer small fee licenses for big TV shows like that? Um, I think it's almost a trick question because I would say everybody does like even the, be you know, like even the ones that want to tell you they don't, they do. We're very flexible. Um, we have really good relationships with 
our, with our clients. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, sometimes it's just like, I've got $20,000 for this. And then Mm -hmm. a week later, they're like, man, I got $2,500. Can you do it? The way that we, when we talk about what something is going to cost, like how much should this song cost? Mm -hmm. We really talk about it in two categories. And I, I hit on one of them earlier, which is audience size. And the other one I would, we we call impact. And Mm -hmm. so for instance, if it's going to be, you know, you're, you're 17 minutes into the show, it's the, you know, it's the climax of the entire show. It's this massive moment. And this song, I mean, you're going to, you're going to hear a full 60 seconds of this song and it's the Mm -hmm. chorus, right? Mm -hmm. That, that is going to be large audience, large impact. Mm -hmm. And there's not that much negotiation when it comes down to that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then sometimes it's like they just popped in the car and they hit the radio and it's kind of in the background and you don't really, right. I mean, like you, you could watch that scene 15 times and you really don't even remember the song, right? So it's like maybe maybe really large audience but really low impact. And and those are the things where you can get a lot more flexible. I sure. mean, I, like three years ago, which actually kind of blew my mind, we did a, we did a song for the Super Bowl that I, if I remember correctly, it was 100,000 or 115,000 or something. And uh, mm-hmm. it was seven seconds. And I <laughs> promise you, I could, play the, I, I could play the commercial for you 15 times and you wouldn't hear the song. Wow. Like, wow. you'd be like, wait, what? Hold on. And then if you go play <laughs> the song and then you're like, okay, that's you, are you sure that that song was in that commercial? Yeah. Wow. So, um, so sometimes I even get surprised. I'm like, yep. I don't even know how that, I mean, okay, so, cool. I mean- that's great, and I, I'm happy to hear that whatever uh, company that was, they paid $100,000 uh, for music, and that's always great to hear, even though you, it was unrecognizable seven seconds. But now let's go on the other end of the spectrum, uh, where I've seen this way too frequently. Um, a friend of mine, um, I mean, this happens all the time, unfortunately, but I'm one very specific instance, a friend of mine. Um, he was working with a, a sync agency. They're more of a music library. I'm not going to call them out by name. I still have friends who are with them. <laughs> but uh, Budweiser uh, w- w- asked – essentially, they licensed one of this – my friend's song. Uh, initially, it was going to be internet only. Um, everyone would know this song uh, who's seen this commercial. It was the – it was essentially – the commercial was just this song and it was a montage to this song and they built an entire campaign around the chorus of this song. Now, the video blew up. It was the one that you probably even remember it. It was the the guy and he leaves his dog uh, at home and the dog is waiting in the, in the window waiting for him to come back home and he doesn't come back home and then there's a sign up that says, that, like, don't drink and drive. It was kind of a, a PSA, but it was a Budweiser commercial and then he comes back holding a six-pack. It's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? And I'm coming home to you. And, and like, you know, the, the commercial went viral. It blew up. So then... Budweiser took this song and they ran with it. They put it on radio commercials. They went to broadcast television. They blew it up everywhere. We're talking, it was on commercials, literally at the Super Bowl. It was everywhere. And my friend um, only made uh, $25,000 total, 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 total. He couldn't even collect royalties on the back end because of the deal that it was signed. It was an original song that he wrote. And we're because initially it was internet only, and then but we're I, I'm talking like the the impact of this song, you know. Right. So I, I, like, how do you protect that from happening? Because that uh, was was to me thievery, and my friend was totally well, screwed 100%, by that, right? Yeah. So I mean, I think if you go back and look at that deal, the difference is what he was told is it's internet only. What was in the mm-hmm. contract was probably full usage, mm-hmm. which honestly comes down to some licensing person somewhere that, you know, I mean, Budweiser calls and says, uh, you know, we're doing this deal. It's going to be quick and dirty. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, just online, not a big thing. Okay, great. Well, did you put all those terms in the agreement or did you just give them full usage to this song? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it goes viral and they come back, they, they come back to the producer or whoever, whoever went and did the deal on the song. And they're like, Hey, we need to go back and, and, and license, you know, for the Super Bowl ad and to use the artist's likeness and whatever. And they go back and look at the agreement and they're like, ah, we're good. Like yeah. they gave us everything we needed up front. We don't need to pay any extra. I mean, so that for me is like, 
again, and, and I'm not saying it couldn't happen like with one of the smaller deal. Like, I don't know. Uh, would it be out of the, you know, a wedding filmmaker does a wedding for a, NFL player and it goes viral or something, whatever. I'm not saying it can't happen, but we basically have the line drawn in the sand and say like, Hey, all of these things, you know, that's a little bit, we're okay with a little bit of the risk here, all this stuff. Like we got to have a conversation and these, these, these sync licenses have to be really tight and, and you know, all the I's have to be dotted and T's crossed. Like Mm -hmm. for us, we do, um, you know, two huge things for us are renewals um, and add-ons and however you want to call it, but it would be that where, mm-hmm. you know, you have an agency that's testing, you know, that's testing a, an ad in one region and it's, and it goes really well. And then they expand regions and then they do it again. And then all of a sudden it's nationwide. And then, you know, and you get paid five different times, five different sync fees as the project mm-hmm. grows. Mm-hmm. So that's stuff that you just have to, you got to solve that on the front end because if you just, not that we don't, we trust our clients, but, but if you don't make the contract reflect the usage, then you could accidentally, well, they told me it was just going to be an online ad. Well, right. All right. Well, you gave them everything. So, yes. so, so always check the know. deal and check the contract. And I appreciate right. that you, you guys look out for that. Unfortunately, this, uh, sync licensing company did not, uh, and they screwed over their artists. I mean, you know, and, and this is happening. This happens all the time. Uh, you know, uh, artists put their music into a, a library and they give, uh, you know, NBC or, or Fox like a blanket usage to use uh, for what they were going to call buffer. But for instance, like a, a friend of mine uh, got was getting texted left and right because his song was used on The Voice when they got a ticket to go to Los Angeles, Hollywood, or you know, for for the next round. And he has a song, right. "I'm Leaving for Los Angeles," and it's blasting every break, and it's a huge part of it. And he didn't even get notified his song was going to be used, let alone paid for it, because they just like gave his his the music library uh, a blanket use license, and they probably paid a thousand bucks for like ten thousand songs or whatever, or who knows. So it's like you know that's that's the these extremes of the options. Like I totally yeah. understand wedding video. I totally understand. Well, and that's um, why we yeah. don't. Yeah, that's why yeah. we don't do subscriptions for anything broadcast. Like it's okay. just too. It, there's, there's too many, there's too many things to talk about. Yes. Yeah. And then you do a, you do a blanket deal, you know, I mean, and then you, you I mean, we have competitors in the space that view like, I mean, like we have competitors in the space that would say, you know, I mean, as long as it's getting placed on TV, you shouldn't even get a sync fee. You'll get your money on the back end of the performance royalties. And I just go back to like, no, it's both. Yes. Like the artist wrote that song and the mm-hmm. artist has the permission to charge what they want to mm-hmm. give permission to another creative to create. Cause that, that's the thing. Like that's the difference between for me. It's like, well, why would it, why should it be different than performance royalties? Listen, when you are listening to a song on the radio, you're mm-hmm. listening to that piece of art in its fullest form. It's done. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what the artist made. They made mm-hmm. that song and you're listening to it and they're getting a mm-hmm. royalty for you listening to it. Mm-hmm. When you're watching that song on the voice mm-hmm. and someone made another piece of art and they use this piece of art to contribute to this other final piece of art, there mm-hmm. should be permission granted for that. And the artist should be paid for that. Yes. And, and then, yeah, like every time it plays, get a royalty. That's great. Sure. But that's why sync licensing exists is you, you know, you can't just take, a finished master and utilize it however you want to in any way. And then especially when you're talking about brands, I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, TV, like the voice is one thing, but if, if that song would have been advertising Apple's latest product release, Mm -hmm. you know, then it's a whole nother sphere of you're, you're now utilizing this song to sell your product. Um, Budweiser, right. Like, which we love. That's great. You know, it's a, that's, that's a, large portion of our market like we love that um mm-hmm. we love it but we want to make sure that the artist is being is is getting the value out of it totally so give me some fee ranges on how this breaks down uh for all the different placements that you see come in for this m- bigger side uh gosh i should pull up our stuff and just list it off to you i mean i would Please, say the vast majority it. is still coming the vast majority is still coming under a hundred thousand. 
So we still okay. do a lot. So like if you're going to go if you're going to go regional broadcast, it's going to be over 5000. If you're going to go national broadcast, it's going to come between 1535 like base. Mm-hmm. It it starts it starts to kind of ramp up. Um things still seem to seem to live under the 100,000 mark unless it becomes kind of tier 1. So tier 1 would be major brand campaign, major product release, uh, major moment, you know, you can start getting a Super Bowl ads and you can start talking quarter of a million dollars, depending on how it is, what it is, what mm-hmm. the artist is. Um, so it, it's that, that probably doesn't help you, but I think, um, you know, if you, if I looked at our, like the vast majority of things, mm-hmm. they're going to live, you know, which is a big range, but they're going to live between the 10 and the hundred thousand mark. Um, and these are for ad campaigns though, right? Ad campaigns. Yeah. So talk to me about uh, TV shows, movies, trailers, video games, that kind of stuff. Because see now you now you're talking to the wrong person. You should Uh-oh. you should be talking you should be talking to <laughs> out of licensing. Because uh-huh. I'm going to say something, they're going to be like, "You're so wrong, man. You don't have any idea." <laughs> I it's it, it is it is very different. Um, but I really like I don't feel like I'm the expert on values for that stuff. You should talk to Robbie. Okay, so it's fair to say, though, that they are being paid something. You're not doing these blanket licenses for any broadcast networks? No, we don't do any blanket licenses for networks. So, okay, and, and you know, I've been told in the space, and I, I, I'm not going to ask you to, to verify because you're not the expert on, on this side of it, but uh, for those listening, uh, TV shows, baseline we're talking uh you know cable tv in the background they're in a coffee shop you can barely tell it's being used five hundred dollars up to a montage uh at the climax of the show maybe ten to fifteen thousand dollars uh for that placement for an indie artist that feel about right yeah i mean we've seen them we've seen them i mean this episode is brought to you by band zoogle This is how you should be creating your website. I've made many websites on Banzoogle for years, long before they were paying me to tell you about it. I told everyone about it because it's super, super easy. Don't mess around with web developers. Let me tell you, the most frustrating people on planet Earth are web developers. No offense to my brother, who is a web developer. He's amazing. He was the one who originally built Ari'sTake.com. You're awesome, Mika. Hey, what up? Okay. Uh, but they're frustrating. They're always overworked. They take on too many projects. They're always getting sniped by startups that will pay them way more than any independent musician can pay them. So you should not be messing around with web developers. Stop paying web developers. Seriously, you know this by now. If you have been hiring web developers for your websites, you can't get a hold of them. You can't afford them. And they are just, the turnaround times are way too long. So Banzoogle, this is how you can build a website. It's super easy. They also have a built-in store, commission-free. You can sell music. You can sell downloads, PDFs, whatever you want to sell. It's all commission-free. They have a crowdfunding service. This is new. That's also commission-free. They also have a subscription service on there if you want to kind of start your own fan club and have subscribers, fans, patrons, whatever you want to call them, commission-free. This is all at banzoogle.com. You can get a 30-day free trial if you use the code ARI. That's my name. And you also get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Go to banzoogle.com. Use the promo code ARI. That's just spelled A-R-I for 15% off the first year of any subscription. Like, and like, don't get me started about indie artists versus major versus whatever, because I can have a lot of opinions about that, but... I mean, I'm we've seen indie we've <laughs> seen indie artists go twenty five thirty thousand if it's mm. if it's going to be like series opener, um, you know, I would I would lean towards I would never do a deal for broadcast for five hundred dollars, but it does mm-hmm, get down mm-hmm. into that thousand fifteen hundred to you know, and sure. and again like we're we're talking about a really relational industry, and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have a music supervisor that loves you, and and we've been working together for a long time, and. And like in an industry like this, there's also a lot of trust involved. And so, you know, and this is what I would tell our artists. It's like, listen, you know, when Adam or Steve tells me that he has $1,500 for this song, like he's not lying. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like we've done right. $50,000 deals with them. We've done $150,000 deals with them. We've done $17,000 deals with them. So, so he's not trying to, to, to work anybody. And so mm-hmm. I think there's definitely times where we'll pass on a deal because it just doesn't make sense for the artist. Okay. Um, and we don't want anyone to be taken advantage of, but, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it, it is a very relational process and mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're working, we're working with supervisors on the TV film side. Um, and on the advertising side, you know, you're either working with a supervisor or sometimes a producer. And uh, again, they're not, you know, not like I, this maybe sounds offensive, but like, it's not their money, you know, right. like it, it, they're not being, they're not being frugal with it. Like it's their dollar. Like they're on the, the job to get the creative finish and they do have a budget. But so. they have a budget, but their budget might be uh, you have $100,000 for all the music per episode. Now, Universal uh, comes to them and they're like, oh, you want to place this song? That's going to cost you $85,000. So then the music right. studio is like, I only have 15000 left for these other eight indie songs. And so that's why they're getting down to like, I only have $500 for you. That's because they paid Universal 85000 because Universal said you can't use this uh, – you know, Imagine Dragon song unless you pay us $85,000 or something like that. So like, well, we right. really want this. And so, yeah, it's not their money, but they are, you know, they do have the budget and they are breaking it down how they see fit. Yeah. And it, and it really comes down to like your licensing, like our licensing team knowing, you know, which song, like we represent thousands and thousands of songs and yes. they're all great, but some of them have magic. Mm. And you better freaking know which ones they are. And, <laughs> and, and you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. th- like there is like, n- you know, they, it, it's a, it's a, it's very nuanced when mm-hmm. to push, when to not push. I only have 10,000. Okay. Well, this sure. is going to be 25 or you can't use it. You know? Um, Understood. and we see it on the advertising side too, which is just like, listen, when everybody falls in love with the song, yes, it's game over, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's that that's when it that's when it's fun but but also like we're not trying to screw anybody we're trying to build relationships mm-hmm. you know we want these people to work with us for a long time so it's nuanced for sure so i want to get back to when you said earlier uh if an artist says they have uh this music or this catalog and they'd like to see five hundred thousand dollars over the next five years and they don't care where it comes from uh how realistic is that what are your 1400 artists seen annually in terms of sync revenue we have average. some artists making, um, you know, we have artists making millions of ye- a year and we have, we have artists, um, you know, I mean, we have, we have some, I probably shouldn't say artists. We have some publishers, like we just had a conversation with a publisher uh, last week that's been with us for three or four years and we've, we've netted them about $10 million wow. since they started with us. Um, and, and then we have artists How making- How big is their catalog? That's a great question. I think there's probably 60, 70 artists in the, okay. in the so it's a lot, it's a pretty, pretty big chunk of yep. uh, the catalog. And, um, mm-hmm. and then we have indie artists that are making 750 bucks a month or $1,500 a month. Um, so a lot of it, comes which is down still to, great. Are you saying like the, the, of your 1400 artists, there's no one making less than $750 oh, a month? I think it, if I went right now, there's probably, there's, Gosh, there's got to be 75 artists that didn't make anything last month. I mean, okay. it, it, it's wow. like, I think the average, Nick could pull the average for you, which Nick should probably be on the call. But I think mm-hmm. at one point the average was like 1200 bucks a month or $1,500 a month or something. But then it ranges, cool. you know, some lower and then some way higher. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, we've had artists, we've had artists have $100,000 months easy, consistently. Wow. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so it... You know, it, it like it comes down to. I mean, this is, is where it even comes down to. Like, like one of the com- one of the questions that Nick gets frequently is, "Well, your your catalog is like so big. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. fifteen hundred artists, and there's a lot of music, and it's really mm-hmm. competitive." To which I I come more from the creative side. Like, remember, I remember I come from the agency side, so mm-hmm. I'm like, "You're not competing with anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're competing with yourself. Like, trust me." No one's coming to Musicbed thinking like, I don't know, I'm just going to place whatever's on the homepage, you know? Like, I'm going to just place, like, whatever whatever the first song I listen to. Like, they're coming for something. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. my my whole point is, like, the concept, the creative concept, the creative director, ultimately, um, 
the, you know, the concept is what is what makes the decision. Are mm-hmm. we going to, is this going to be a, an original score? Are we going to do a cover? Are we placing mm-hmm. a top 40 song? Do we want something like indie and super emerging that we can kind of introduce to the world? Is it going to be folk? Does it need to be country? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I, you know, I hate to break it to you, but a lot of those decisions are made before they get to us. And, sure. our, and our job is to help find that perfect song. And then maybe they were coming for, you know, maybe they were coming for like an indie folk sound and we have seven or eight bands that maybe fit the bill, mm-hmm. but they need something that talks about Georgia and the summer. And you're like, well, we only have one song that yeah. fits that, right? <laughs> so like, sure. I, I think that's where it, 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 it can sometimes feel competitive and large, mm-hmm. but when you think of it through the eyes of the creative, the concept is what drives the placement. And, mm-hmm. you know, we... And that's where I'm like, I, I don't, like, I don't view, and you know, this is just something, it is what it is, but I'll, like, I don't view an indie musician's song less valuable than a top 40 song. Because to me, the, it, the song is the song. Like, was yeah. it the perfect song for your project or was it not the perfect song for your project? Like, right. I don't like the idea that you place that song because you're on a budget. Right. So it was either the right thing or it wasn't the right thing. And if it's sure. the right thing, then, then the budget will make itself work. Love that. Um, talk to me about how the interface looks for uh, the people who want to license music when they come and they log into their account and they're like, all right, I need a song about Georgia in the summer. Are they, can they search lyrics? Can they search genre, BPM? What are the searching capabilities? Yeah, so you... Um, so we're actually about to roll out lyrical theme, which I think mm. is going to be really huge. Um, you can search lyrics, genre. We have, we have everything tagged by genre, mood. Mood. I should pull it up right now. And, you know, you can search builds. Uh, we're about to release key filtering, which is important to the filmmaker, which is kind of a, a geeky music thing. But um, You mean you like, know, is this time, in the key of A minor? What do you mean key well, filtering? Well, so a lot of times what will happen is if you're, maybe you're doing a short film or something that's eight or nine minutes long and you have one mm-hmm. song that's kind of carrying most of the film, but you got to get in and out of it. So mm-hmm. you, you have one song that's in the key of C. Well, well uh, I don't, you know, I need, to, I need a song to kind of tag at the end or maybe I, see, I need something kind of ambient and cinematic at the beginning to help me get into it. Well, you need to know that like what is compatible with the key of C and... A so, minor, the relative minor. <laughs> there you go. See, yeah. So, so, right. so you can name all those things, but a filmmaker's right. like, huh? Like, right, I don't know right, what right. this means. They're just thinking, I just want something compatible, right? They're not yes. thinking of like fifths and what. So, yeah. It's it's um, yeah. So so that some of the some of those features are actually about to roll out to make it even easier for the filmmaker to find mm-hmm. uh, to find the right track. But cool. right now, it's you can search by lyric, genre, mood, um, keyword, BPM. Talk to- Cool. Talk to me on the uh, the let's call it the agency side uh, when you're pitching uh, or you're working directly with music supervisors and ad agencies. Uh, are they coming into your database and searching, or are they coming to you and saying, "Hey, we need here's our brief," and we're, they're sending the brief to all the sync agents, and and then you do the filtering and you send back a dedicated pitch. It's both. So five years ago, it was almost exclusively them filtering. Mm-hmm. Um, and we rolled out, uh, it's, well, it's, it's kind of complicated. Like this is, this is like a, this is a <laughs> word and you know, it's like, you're not music supervisors. You can't call it that. I'm like, well, okay. But, you know, anyway, it, whatever you want to call it, supervision, yeah. search, whatever. Yeah. Um, we rolled that out a couple of years ago. So it's not supervision amongst the world. It's search amongst our roster. Sure. And, uh, and we probably fulfill 25 of those a day. Mm-hmm. And so it's, gr- and it, and it's growing rapidly, which is, is really that, I mean, that's the fun part even for our team is being able to search the roster and fulfill a brief and feel like you're a creative partner. And that mm-hmm. the creative partner side of the business has really grown over the last two or three years. Um, and a lot of supervisors and agencies and producers and creative directors want to just, they want to find it. They mm-hmm. want to sort, kind of find a deep cut on page 37 um, that's perfect. And then sometimes they just want to submit a brief and have us send back, you know, we'll, we'll turn around a, 
a playlist for them typically same day and uh, cool. with 20, 25 songs that work. And sometimes it's, do you have anything that sounds like this? Sometimes it's a lyrical mm-hmm. theme. Sometimes it's a full brief. Um, but yeah, we do 25, 30 of those a day. Are you using disco? Uh, we don't use disco. I just saw that the other day. I, I, you're the first person in sync I've spoken to in about a year and a half that doesn't use disco. Um, what do you well, use built, when you put like, a playlist together? You use your own proprietary software. Yeah. Like we built disco, but we call it music bed. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like we are disco. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, well, because yeah, I'll, disco I'll have... is disco is, I just saw this the other day, like disco is basically like everything, right? Like the world. Uh, I mean, anyone or can is it, use it. Or you it. can use it for your own roster. You, no, no, you can use it for your own roster. Uh, oh, okay. Most sync agencies are using it. Um, I'll, I'll have to tell Carl that that you <laughs> built it. We, we've uh, we, I've, I've talked to disco uh, frequently, Katrina and Carl. Is Carl the CEO? Yes. Um, I want to talk so, to that guy, man. I saw this the other day and I was just, I forget. I'll who connect I was the two of you. I'm, I'm sure he'd it. love to chat with you. Uh, they're based in Australia, but, but uh, to be honest, virtually everybody I've spoken to in sync, uh, you're literally the first person in a year and a half that doesn't use disco. Um, and it, it's like most music supervisors use it. Most sync agencies use it. It's a, they have a version for sync licensing companies. They have a version for artists, for music supervisors. You can filter it. It's like instead of having it, everything is metadata tagged, lyrics are included, mood, BPM. It sounds right. like your database, but anyone can use it. And then so instead of me emailing you a link to a Dropbox or emailing a link to the music bed, whatever, it's literally one click added to my disco library if I'm a music supervisor and now I can filter through all these things. So um yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how um, you know in the last two three years or so um, how many people in sync have adopted that technology and adopted what they're using, um, and even artists, uh, you know, they use it for their own stuff instead of sending a SoundCloud playlist. Now they're sending a disco playlist. Uh, right. It's just cleaner um, and and all of that. So that that's that's interesting. I'll connect it. Well, the I wonder two if of you. we I could API. Just... I mean, it seems like we could probably API in and. Yeah. Um, Pretty might easily. Be able to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll connect you guys. I think, I think that would be a good conversation. Um, speaking of, uh, well, on the artist side, um, if artists want to work with the music bed, how do they go about that? Are you, do you take submissions or is it through referrals? How does that work? We do. Yeah. We usually open up submissions once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to do a lot more than we did. And then uh, what, the thing is we signed so many record deals and publishing partners mm-hmm. and band managers that so much is so much of our new artist acquisition is through people that we're already in relationship with. Sure. Um, but Nick, who's my co-founder is, is building out a really kind of ramping up his team right now to start, um, making sure that we don't slow down on being able to, to accept submissions. I mean, some of our best songs, some of our best artists have come through submissions. Sure. So cool. Good to know. How, how uh, do you do it? Would be, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to give his email out. Probably shouldn't put his email out. <laughs> no, no, no. What I was going to say is, and, and we'll talk about this later. I'm going to, I'm going to follow up with you. Um, you know, Ari's Tech Academy, we have an online uh, course on sync licensing. And, and part of our system is uh, we partner with sync agencies and our students, we're training them how to be successful in sync and how to be really great uh, writers and producers in the sync realm. And so we do uh, submissions twice a year to our sync uh, agency partners. So we kind of vet out the the music. Um, we work with our students, all artists and producers, and then they can submit. And then our panel of judges, basically internal team, goes through, picks out all of the music that's ready, and then we pass along the best of the best to our sync agency partners. And they really appreciate that because we're not only have we trained all of our artists exactly how sync works, they're like they're completely um, you know, uh, they're they're experts now in how sync works. Uh, right. but they also know the game and they know all at all. So and, and their music's perfect now for sync. Um, and it, and it's authentic. They're all artists and producers. That, um, you know. So um, yeah, we'll have to talk. And if you want to be part of that program, we'd love to. to yeah, we would love to. That's awesome. Cool, cool. Um, well, 
Daniel, this has been great. Uh, time just flew by. Uh, I have one final question for you um, that I ask everybody who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Oh, my gosh. To make it? To make it. What does it mean to make it? I saw that question come across, and I was like, I'm going to just figure out. I'm going to figure it out on the fly. Um, man, I think you, what does it mean to make it in the new music business? I think, you know, we're in an interesting space because we're in the middle of technology and music, two things that like to move real fast. Mm-hmm. So I think it, for us, we talk about this frequently, which is disrupting ourselves. Um, mm. so I don't, I personally don't believe you ever make it. Um, but uh, you know, there's that. I think mm-hmm. as soon as you make it and you get off your whiteboard, then you've kind of lost. So I think we talk about all the time, just, you know, we're in these, like we're in, we're sandwiched in between these industries that are moving at a rapid pace. And the second that we do feel like we've actually made it, it's like really close to game over. Mm. So, you know, to me, it's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's like for us, it is keeping our eyes on our customers and consistently solving problems for them and mm-hmm. not losing sight of like, you know, I think we can get stuck. Um, we can get stuck doing business the old way. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. you're, you, you, like this podcast exists because of the 80s and the 90s and just an entire industry that's they're all still dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And so to me, um, we could very easily be the next generation of dinosaurs. Like, like we created the new music, music business and look <laughs> at us, we made it. And, you know, and then all these, you know, and then disco pops up and we're like, no, that's dumb. I, yeah. I mean, right. And, and we're like, no. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that is, it's how do you continuously make it year over year? And the hardest thing is to, uh, the hardest thing is to pivot and do things differently that you've that have been successful for a decade, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. well, now you have to change it because the industry they're either going to force you to change it or you can lead the change. I love it. Lead the change, Dana McCarthy. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. Good talking with you. brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.